Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome back to the realest podcast in the dunya, the three Muslims podcast. We're joined again with Dr. Omar Zaid. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. How are you doing today? Assalamu alaikum. I'm doing well, wonderful. As a matter of fact, thank you very much. Alhamdulillah, Habibi. It's, it's a pleasure and honor to have you back again. Uh, last episode, I remember you mentioned to us uh, the vaccines being a uh, uh, biomechanical weapon or, or so, something of that um, mm-hmm. matter. So I would like you to go into that because you mentioned that certain Islamic leaders and speakers are talking about, you know, take the vaccine, take the vaccine, but you seem to have a, uh, an opposing stance to that. So do you want to talk about that in COVID in general? Well, I could mention it. Uh... First of all, I have to do a, a bit of an apology here because um, I've been out of medicine for more than 20 years now. I haven't been practicing. Uh, although I keep abreast of some developments in the medical sciences, uh, I'm, I'm not actively involved anymore. I've been involved with teaching and writing and uh, academically involved with medical ethics, things of that nature, but no longer with medical science. So this whole thing, when it started uh, more than a year ago, I recognized as a fraud immediately because of my previous medical training. And uh, I said, well, this is, it smells the high heaven of a fraud. It's just not normal, it's not natural. And uh, of course, what they were describing uh, as the symptoms were typical flu symptoms that, uh, and common cold symptoms. And then they, met, they came up, oh, this is a coronavirus. And um, that's a term that's been selected uh, for use, um, probably for occult reasons. And um, however, Coronaviruses have been around for a long, long time, and they're a family of viruses which are responsible for the common cold and the flus and things of this nature. And they've never been that, uh, um, the colds and flus have never, they've been bothersome, but they've never been that much of a problem as far as pandemics are concerned. And you could say, oh my God, well, what about the 1918 pandemic? Well, I knew a bit about the history of that, and uh, that was involved, that involved an experimental vaccine that started with the armed services of the United States. It spread then through the world. It uh, had a particular manifestation in Spain at the time because of the First World War, and um, it was blamed on the Spanish, and therefore it got the name the Spanish flu. Well, The real problem with that was not the virus. The virus was not killing people. What was killing people was the doctors and uh, the secondary infections uh, that were uh, the response of the treatment by the doctors. The allopathic doctors were handing out uh, antipyretics. These are, you know, and they they had just uh, discovered aspirin. Everybody, it was the latest drug. It was the newest drug. And they had, everybody had to take it. And what the aspirin does is it brings down the temperature and uh, it's uh, anti-inflammatory in that sense. And uh, when you bring down the temperature below uh, 102.4 degrees Fahrenheit, you turn off the immune system from its active state of war against the enemy that's invading your body. Uh, 
And this not only allows that enemy to, in this case, the virus to uh, do its damage, but it also allows other uh, pathogens that are already in the body to become opportunistic. So it's like leaving your car uh, running with the keys in it. The thief is going to take it. That's opportunism, you see. And uh, so bacterial infections then superimpose themselves on top of the viral infection. And that's what was killing people, not the virus. So it was the doctors in the allopathic system that were killing these million peoples, these millions of people. And I knew that. And as soon as they mentioned this about COVID and all these complications and something like that, I said, well, something's afoot here because they've lied before and they're lying again. And of course, as a medical doctor and uh, as someone who's followed the history of uh, vaccinology and the vaccine frauds, because that's what they are, they're frauds, um, I knew something was afoot. I didn't know exactly what it was, but I told everyone, yeah, this is not true. They're not giving the uh, correct information, et cetera, et cetera. And lo and behold, I was correct. Now, I haven't been doing any active investigations myself. I mean, I'm not in a laboratory. So all that I know about it is uh, not primary. It's secondary and tertiary knowledge, which I've gathered. But the knowledge that I've gathered has some uh, sound basis because I'm medically trained and I'm scientifically trained in this field. So what I determined uh, after the fact uh, that after some initial investigations were given, that it was that this was, uh, uh, if it was a virus, it was something that had been manipulated in a military lab. And I determined that early on and lo and behold, and now we're, that truth is coming out more than a year later. It was determined, uh, uh, put together in the military lab. Now I'm talking about the virus now and not the vaccine. The vaccine is something that's quite different. Um, but the virus itself, the reason that the virus itself was causing um, some degree of difficulty with some portions of the um, population was because those members of the population, the elderly and the people who were already immune compromised and the very weak, uh, these people had already been exposed to vaccines. They've been exposed to the flu vaccine. They've been exposed to other vaccines. And these predispose the immune system to a certain uh, type of hyperactivity. So that when uh, other antigens are introduced, the body overreacts rather than reacting in a um, balanced session, uh, in a balanced way. So that when the lungs were filling up, it was filling up with fluids that were the direct result of prior exposure to similar antigens that uh, were contained in this virus. And uh, there are other complications as well. Uh, that are the result of being constitutionally compromised uh, by uh, modern medicine, by antipyretics, bringing the fever down, not taking the, the right medications, not eating the right food, not uh, being, uh, not uh, exercising, uh, all, all these sorts of things. Uh, so, um, and another thing is what that the the 
the test results that were being used to measure these cases, uh, this was all based on false statistics and a false testing system. The test that was used to uh, measure the um, number of cases was, it's a laboratory test that was never meant to be used clinically. It was never meant to be used even by its inventor, its inventor to uh, measure the number of, uh, uh, of cases of an infection. It can't do that. It's not designed for that at all. So the medical authorities were using the wrong test to promote the wrong statistics in order to scare the hell out of people over a virus that uh, was only killing a few people. It was not killing the millions that they anticipated or that they said. And the number of cases were all false because the test that was used, the CPR test that was used, produces upwards of 80, 90% false positives. So they were lying about this from the beginning. And I knew that. And I was telling everybody and, uh, you know, of course, because of the mental programming that we discussed in the last two sessions, people don't want to believe this. They don't want to believe that their authorities, and especially the doctors that they admire so much, are lying. Uh, you take the medical authority who's the, the, the medical officer or med uh, administrator in um, in Malaysia, for example, you know, he, he doesn't have any medical training. He's just, a, he's just an appointee. He's a political appointee. And, but yet people are saying, believing whatever he says, you see, it, it, this is, this is a lie. This is fraud. And then you get into the point, you, I got to the point where I began to examine the medical papers and, uh, you know, suddenly you know, all the cases that are being reported are COVID, uh, influenza, B and A are disappearing. There's no more cases being reported. And that's been the threat of, you know, the common cold, common flu for decades and decades. Well, that doesn't, they don't just disappear naturally without a cause. You know, that's not normal. It's not natural. It's manipulation. Now that, you know, and they control the narrative with the mainstream media and people, you know, just forget. But people like me don't forget. And there are other medical authorities who, who don't forget. But the trouble is there are too many cowards practicing medicine. Too many. You have millions of doctors out there and only a few thousands who are opposing this. And the millions of doctors who are not opposing this are feathering their nests even further by not opposing it. They're cowards, okay? And um, and I say that advisedly, I know, I know. I know how they think, I trained with them. I know, I know what they do. And I know how they uh, proceed with their um, rational, rationalizations of these this matter. So, COVID uh, is something that has been planned for decades. It's a, it's a contagion that has been planned for decades and it's a propaganda uh, victory. Most of it is a lie. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't a thing called COVID, there is, but 
it's been taken way out of proportion because of the propaganda storm. The uh, propaganda has been intensive. It's the same sort of propaganda that gets millions of people to put on uniforms and go kill people they don't know. It's the same thing. And that's exactly what's taking place, but it's taking place in a different matter. Because rather than uh, 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 a, a um, manifestation of an outward uh, movement, this is more inward, so that people are withdrawing from each other rather than uh, going out to assault each other. And this withdrawal from each other is also killing people. It's killing normality. It's killing the community spirit. It's killing siasia dunia, whatever is left of it. People are becoming fearful and they live in fear. And fear does not proceed from Allah until the day of judgment. I mean, we all fear Allah's judgment, but the friends of Allah don't fear Allah. See, when you when you become a friend of Allah, and this is very clear in the in the scriptures, you know, you there's no reason to to fear Allah because you're you're no longer involved in the activities that would cause him to judge you and separate from you. And this separation is a, a thing that's uh, you know the people fear. They fear about abandonment. We we fear it as a child. And we're being abandoned now by the community due to fear. We're abandoning all of our cultural norms I mean, and we're abandoning uh, reason. We, we abandon reason. I got a bunch of guys get in the bus, they sit next to each other, each other like sardines to go to Jummah. Then they get to the mosque and they pray six feet apart. That's just plain stupid. That shows you how much a, of a moronic mindset people have. So why are they doing that? Rather than standing up as a unified body and saying no, everyone's being a bloody coward about it. Allah does not honor cowards. He will not throw if an owl, if he will not throw with cowards. He's not going to protect cowards. He's not going to grant them refuge. So getting back to the issue of manhood and the issue of living off grid and the issue of real work, cowards can't do it. <laughs> they can't do it. Mm. They won't do it. There's one thing, uh, one thing I wanted to touch on. A lot of people might be commenting by now. How do you prove that you know, this was made in a lab? I'm talking about COVID. How do you yeah. prove that this wasn't this was manufactured? No, it, this was all, this is already proven. The papers are all on my website. I posted them all, and mm. if anyone wants to read the papers, uh, I have them also on a mega file. I can give you that link, and you perfect. Then I'll put everything in the description. And uh, yeah. before we go on to you know off grid and all that, sure. what do these vaccines do to you? Namely, COVID vaccine, the one that you had experience when you were in the army, and I think you told me you got you got a charge for that. Oh, yeah, I did. That was the swine flu vaccine. That was also an experiment. And they were uh, running it on the soldiers, which is not the first time. The first one they did was a, uh, the 1918 thing. And uh, then they did it again uh, with this in 1978, I think it was. 
uh, with the swine flu experiment, and they wanted to experiment with the soldiers first before it went um, into the uh, greater public. And I was part of a, a group in Germany at the time, and I knew about these things, and I wasn't a doctor yet, but everybody called me doc, like I said in their first interview, uh, because I was reading, and it's one of the things I was reading about, and um, I knew that uh, the governments had been experimenting with these vaccines for a long, long time, and they don't give a damn who they experiment on. They don't care what the results are, they just want the results, you see, because they, they're tyrants and they want they want to control and protect their particular positions of power. That's why they do it. They don't do it for the benefit of the people. They do it for their own selfish benefit. That's very, very clear from reading the history, especially when you read the history of the well-heeled families, such as the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and anyone who's affiliated with them. Um, so, these cattle barons have been doing this for a long, long time. And when they did it with the army in 1978, I turned up for um, uh, at, at, the, at the morning gathering uh, before the day started. And the sergeant, uh, first sergeant said, uh, we're all going down to the clinic at 0900 to get this vaccine. And I said, well, what if we don't get it? What if we refuse? And there was silence in the room. And he said, you will go, soldier. And I said, no, I won't. I'm not taking this thing. It's poison. It's a toxin. And uh, of course, everybody's shocked about that. All the buddies who knew me, uh, they knew I was informed. And of course, they wanted to talk to me uh, out of earshot of the sergeant later. In any case, they, it came to pass that I didn't go. Everyone else went and everybody got sick from the shot. I was the only one in the whole unit that didn't get sick. That includes the CO and the first sergeant and you know all, all the other NCOs as well. So um, the CO called me into his office. He's coughing and you know feverish. <laughs> and uh, he said, you know, your leave, I was planning on going to leave on going on leave that coming weekend. And he said, your leave is canceled, canceled. You're not going anywhere. And I said, yes, sir. Then I immediately went to my office because I was an in and out processing clerk for the officer's corps at the time. So I had all, I had access to all the paperwork I needed to make my own leave papers. And I made up a, uh, a, an officer's name, a fictional officer's name. I used one first name and a last name from another officer. And then I signed it myself and I went on leave. <laughs> when I came back, <laughs> they arrested me and they, they, they threw me in the who's in jail and uh, uh, they wanted to, they, they actually wanted to take me to Leavenworth. Can you imagine that? They wanted me, they wanted to put me in, uh, uh, you know, with hardened criminals at Leavenworth, you see. And uh, so I, I wrote after some hemming and hawing with the lawyers at the time. So my assigned lawyers wanted to uh, take it to the Supreme Court. They wanted to go out of the military system right to the Supreme Court because it was a matter of conscientious objection. And uh, I said, look, it's my body. You don't have the right to do this. You got the right to tell me to go kill somebody, but you don't have the right to tell me to kill myself, you know, with some experimental poo-poo. So I wrote to the commanding officer of USERA 
and of the European uh, force, American, European American forces there, and I resigned. I was a spec four, okay. I resigned from the army. I'm the only specialist, the only unenlisted man in the history of the United States Army to resign from the army and be relieved. And they, they let me go with an honorable discharge because they didn't want to. They did not want to raise the public consciousness about this thing at the time. And I did not want to go to the Supreme Court. I just wanted to get away from these stupid morons who from one day to the next began to dishonor me. I couldn't stay in the uniform anymore with morons who refused to think. And I told this, I told the commander uh, uh, the user of forces is in my letter of, record, of resignation. They let me go. I still had another two years to serve. So I resigned over the swine flu vaccine. And um, I have followed the vaccine saga ever since then. And I can tell you that the developer of the Salk vaccine, not Jonas Salk, but the man who was hired by his institution to develop the vaccine said that he said this quote unquote vaccines are bargain basement medicine and he was the most advanced scientist medical scientist and vaccinologist at the time they're dangerous they've never been safe and effective all of it is propaganda and they never stopped any of the uh, illnesses that they were supposed to stop. All of these illnesses went through their natural curves up and down, just like they normally do through all of human history. If you study the curves of when the, vac of when the illnesses hit, chicken pox, measles, doesn't make, make any difference what it is, they, there's no disappearance because of uh, vaccines. And even if you give the vaccines, these illnesses just, they come back because the vaccines do not, uh, are, do not effectively um, stimulate the fullness of the potential of the immune, immune system that Allah has blessed us with. They interfere with it. They cause a, um, they cause a, a, a deformity of that system. They insult that system and they're still trying to scientifically apologize for this medical science and it's not effective at all. None of these vaccines are necessary. There's a few exceptions um, that uh, may be necessary on occasion, but they're only necessary for very, very few people and very, very few circumstances. Do they help? But for common illnesses, they don't. Common illnesses, the common childhood illnesses should be experienced. And sure, if a few, few kids die, that's just the cost of life, isn't it? That's just the way it is. You want to, you want to damage a million people to save a few thousand? That's not rational. That's not cost effective. But it is commercially profitable for the medical industry. And that's why they do it. 
Well, so you have one. an 18-year-old that's in perfect health and he gets the vaccine. What could happen to him? Oh, the vaccine. Now, the vaccine is different from the virus, okay? Mm -hmm. The vaccine contains a spike, what they call the spike protein, but this has been proven to be uh, uh, manufactured in the laboratory. And it's different than the spike protein on the manufactured virus. This spike protein looks, uh, has been manufactured to uh, simulate um, many tissues in the body many natural tissues in the body. So when the, auto when the immune system comes into contact with the spike protein, it not only attacks the spike protein, but it will start to attack the body's own tissues in certain individuals. And not only that, but you can't turn it off. Once this thing is in the body, it gets into the cells and it turns your cells into a little factory. And that factory keeps on manufacturing the spike protein. So it doesn't matter how many immune system, immune, immune antibodies that your body manufactures to throw at it. It's like the Chinese coming in at the Americans at the North, North Korean border war. Okay. They ran out of bullets. That's why they had to retreat. There were just too many Chinese. And it's the same thing with the spike protein. And so the, auto, the immune system is going to go nuts trying to fight this. And it's not only going to go nuts, but it's going to tax your energy level. Because it's going to rob energy from other systems and other activities that keep you healthy in order to fight something that should never be there to begin with. And not only that, it's going to manufacture antibodies that are going to attack your own your own cells. That's why you're getting kids, like you just mentioned at this age, from 14 and upwards, they're getting pericarditis. They're getting uh, inflammation of the heart. They're getting inflammation of the lung. Women are getting inflammation of the ovaries. It's causing inflammation all over the body, you see, not just against the spike protein. It's a military weapon. It's been designed to do this. And when the next flu season comes around and they say, oh, there's no more flu, that's a lie too. They're saying influenza A and influenza B don't exist anymore. That's a pure lie. They don't just disappear from the environment. That's a lie from the pit of hell. When those next seasons come around and new coronaviruses come around and they do have variants, the variants aren't caused by the immune system. They're not caused by the vaccine. They're not caused by the infection. They just happen anyway. There's normal. And normally healthy people don't have any problem with this infection. They don't. 99% of the people won't have any problem with it. Not at all. I've forgotten what the death rates are. It doesn't matter. They're insignificant. The whole thing's blown out of proportion. But this bioweapon, as well as the vaccine, have been determined by the experts. The experts of the experts, the people that look up, and they've been determined by even by the uh, uh, pharmaceutical executives themselves. Some of them have left the system and they say, this is manufactured. We made it, it's not natural. And it's dangerous. And one of the most famous scientists, a man named uh, Luc Montaigne from France, he just came out last week with a paper describing this 
just as I'm telling you, but in more scientific, scientifically precise language, saying that the people who have received the vaccine are all going to suffer terribly over the next two to three years. And other doctors agree, many other doctors and experts agree that this has been designed to cull the human population. And over the next two or three years, you're going to see people getting sick, perhaps dying by the millions who've received this vaccine. And not only that, it's not only just having received the vaccine, but you can be in the presence of someone who's got the vaccine and you didn't have it, and you'll be infected by the vaccine particle because they will cough it out, they will sneeze it out. And the masks don't stop it, that's a lie. The, lie, the, the masks are counterproductive. They're making people more sick. So the whole society all over the world has been profoundly disrupted by a lie. And it's now being profoundly insulted by a military medical bioweapon. It's not a vaccine. Not in the traditional sense of what we think vaccines are. It's a weapon. It's an instrument, it is a tool, it is a device, a medical device that infects you on purpose and produces itself. Why would anybody in their right mind take such a thing or devise it? It's pure evil. There's no doubt about that in my mind. So getting back to going off grid, all the more reason to go off grid. You see. Hold up. Before we even get what into that. What if you can't leave the country I because do have you have a vaccine and got on a plane? Oh, no. Hold up. Hold up. The people who have gotten the vaccine, because, listen, I did want to ask Rami, like, how he feels. He, he looks a little dark. <laughs> <laughs> he looks a little dark over there. Yeah, Rami but, looks um, sad, bro. If, if someone has gotten the vaccine, what are things that they can do to... Um... Ah, I don't know. Either prevent prevent this or at least like minimize it i mean it's already done bro there there are some things that you can do i posted articles re recently on my site at uh, at zaidpub.com zaidpub z-a-i-d-p-u-b.com and you can find articles there that tell you exactly what to do um one of the things that will help you is sunlight vitamin d taking uh, multivitamins, exercise, uh, these sorts of things will help you. And not the least of which will help you is, of course, you know, taking things like black seed, all of these things. Uh, any of the Islamic approaches to, to maintaining your health are going to help you. Um, uh, but I, 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 I don't remember all of the devices that, uh, and, uh, and uh, medicines that will help you. But I've been taking these things on a regular basis, you see, for years uh, because of my multiple sclerosis. And it's one of the reasons I'm still able to walk around because I've been taking medicine, uh, uh, dietary supplements, not necessarily medicines, although I have some homeopathic medicines that help to counteract the effects of inflammation from the vaccines. Multiple sclerosis is a result of uh, the insult of the hepatitis B vaccine. And it stays with you for years. And this uh, 
inflammatory process that is destructive, uh, it sometimes takes decades to show it's the, the permanent results and to damage the system so that you lose function. One of the things that's wonderful about us is that Allah has uh, created us as an ongoing creation. And what I mean by that is that we keep on creating new cells every day. And we keep on repairing the damage to our body every day. And so if you have a poison or, example, or a toxin, for example, that is beginning to overwhelm your system, with the help of these systems, and, and uh, you, your body can overcome it if you have a strong constitution and you're not um, starved, you're not uh, nutritionally deficient. Most of the modern foods are nutritionally deficient because we've been depleting the topsoils in which they're farmed. So uh, the trace minerals are no longer there and we need these trace minerals in the, in the foods uh, substances in order to maintain a healthy uh, environment intracellularly so that we can fight of infections, we can fight off these uh, noxious insults. So uh, I've been taking vitamin C, I've been taking multivitamin uh, 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 complex with all the trace minerals. I've been taking additional magnesium and zinc, and I've been uh, practicing what I call um, uh, uh, sunlight nutrition by exposing myself to the sun on a regular basis but not just my body, my hands, because in the palms of the hand, you have solar uh, uh, reflectors, receptors, and they receive, there are, there are receptors in the hands, in the palms of the hands only, they're not anywhere else, that receive uh, the photons from the sun. And this, these photons are responsible, not only for the production of vitamin D in your body, but for the production of all of the metabolism that, uh, that is responsible for the chemical reactions in your body. Sunlight does that. So when you see pictures of the Pharaoh, for example, uh, holding his hands up to the sun, he's not worshiping the sun, he's eating it, <laughs> okay, with the palms of his hand. This is one of the mysteries that has been misplaced uh, on purpose, okay, uh, by our medical educators and the occult educators who are running the world systems. They don't want people to know these things. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that as well. And that, that, is counter, that is countering the ongoing inflammation in my body from the hepatitis B vaccine and the toxins that are in it. Now, my good wife is Chinese and she has a Chinese doctor who's also a Muslim who's going to be sending me some money, some, some medicines to help further de the detoxification. The problem with this vaccine, so-called vaccine, the spike protein, is you can't get rid of it. Once it's, once it's in your body, you can't get rid of it. Your own body is producing it. You'd have to be a, a surgeon and go in there and remove every cell that's been infected by it. And that's not possible. Um, so how to protect against that? All of the above that I've just mentioned, as well as Allah's refuge. I pray for it every day. And when my wife and I, when we perform sujood after the prayer, I pray for this specifically.
that Allah would protect us from these unseen weapons that, that have been forged against us. You see, you got to be specific with your prayer when you pray. You can't just say, oh, Allah, help me. No, help you with what? You know, if you come to me uh, as your neighbor and you say, help, help, I need help. I say, okay, with what? You don't tell me. How am I going to help you? You even if I knew, oh, I thought you froze for a second. But even if I knew what uh, Rami needed help with, if he came to me for help, I would still ask him, "What do you need help with?" Yeah, he didn't tell me. There you go. There you go. You want it? Yeah. You want to be specific because what are you doing? You're negotiating a contract. Okay, whether you want payment for it is, you know, that's irrelevant. But you want you want a specific acknowledgement of what it is that you need help with, what I'm going to help you to do. And, you know, am, are you going to pay for it? Is Allah going to remunerate me? Okay. And, uh, you know, either way, you're going to get paid. I'd rather that Allah pays me because for his pay, his pay scale is far better. That's Speaking. I just wanted Rami to speaking, give, give us his thoughts, bro. Hold up, hold up. Uh, before Rami goes, uh, speaking about what you were talking about, the sun exposure. Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I've heard that um, as a man, if you get direct sun exposure on your testicles, that it increases the uh, vitamin D absorption and also increases the amount of uh, testosterone. It also increases the it. chance of testicular cancer. Oh, does it? Bro, you're getting direct sunlight on your... But what if you were to get like a minute at a time? Well, I don't What's know. Your it, it would it probably depend on where you were and what the temperature was outside when you expose your te testicles to the sunlight. Light is different, different than warmth, and the testicles are outside the body because they do better without the with the lower temp body temperature. You see. So if you're going to the beach and it's 102 degrees outside, you're probably going to cook your testicles. You know, you're roasting them. Yeah, you're going to roast them. That's not a good idea. But um, uh, as for the sunlight exposure, to I, I wouldn't know. I haven't read any papers on that. And it's not something that I've inquired about. But if you really want to know, uh, maybe I'll uh, look it up sometime if I remember. <laughs> if you if you lived off grid and you had your own little land right now, would you be out there just completely naked and getting that sun exposure on your testicles? No, no, I I don't think you need to go about go around naked. I do when I do when I do um, uh, drink the sun, so to speak. I try to sit in a place that's close by a, a big tree and close to water. Because what you want to do is you want to not only get the sun, you not only want to get the photons, but you want to ground yourself so the the, uh, the uh, radicals in your body are drained into the land. Okay, mm -hmm. So you're grounded so the, all these un, unwieldy electrons that make us sick uh, are, are, drained, are, are drained into the ground. And they will in turn nourish the ground. So it's an it's a ongoing circuit. This is one of the reasons that we can't really live off, uh, off the uh, off the earth. We're designed to live right here and here alone, uh, because uh, Allah has perfectly balanced everything. 
so that um, we do our very best physiologically, metaphysically, and phys- and uh, and uh, materially here on the on on the earth, nowhere else. All the astronauts who come back uh, from extended periods of uh, uh, of uh, space. Uh, uh, obligations uh, living in space, they, they all come back a bit sick or weakened. It's, their immune systems are weakened. It, it's not, you can't, we can't live out there. This idea that Elon Musk has that we're going to go um, colonize Mars, I, I say, well, good luck to you. I'm staying right here. You know, the only, re- the only way I'm leaving this planet is I'm going to die here first. <laughs> and then I'll. Uh, uh, will do whatever he determines to do uh, with my soul, uh, but uh, I'm not getting in that spacecraft. I might, if I were a millionaire, you know, I might take one of his space rides around one of his space planes and look at the Earth and see how round it is. <laughs> There's been an epidemic of flat Earth, flat Earthitis, you know, recently. So I just had to get that little dig in. Anyway, um, uh, yeah, some some idiot's going to come back and say, "Yeah, it's a it's a flat round disc, <laughs> morons surrounded by morons." So uh, anyway, gentlemen, I think we're coming to the end of this hour as well. Sometime soon, is there anything else you would like me to try to address? Man, we want to get into the the off grid, but I have a feeling that. That's like a whole another episode in and of itself. Into the what? Into the whole off grid thing, like oh, off grid. Yeah, the question that I would have. Uh, I'll just I'll throw the question at you. I'll throw the question, and then you tell me if this is something for another video or you okay. know, perhaps because we have we have time. We have time right now. Yeah, we have I'm, time for you. How much time do we have? Oh, we have as much time as as we like. So okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, inshallah, inshallah. So, with everything that has been said, with what you said previously mm-hmm. in the um, two episodes ago, where you were talking about the hadith, mm-hmm. where uh, the Prophet wasallam was narrating that he said that uh, when when the Dajjal comes, when the end time comes, like head to the mountains, like get some cattle, head to the mountains, and live like the the Bedouins. Yeah. Right. If I said that correctly. So with that being said, as a Muslim, you know, as a proper Muslim here, you got the other two brothers, you got the other brothers and sisters Mm -hmm. that are watching this podcast. If we wanted to start living off grid, what are the necessary steps? And with that being said, after the necessary steps, would it be best to go about it like solo with like your own close family, or would it be best to go about it in a tribe? Because uh, I, I know there's a saying that there's strength in numbers. Both, you see. But it depends on who these people are. You see, if you're going to go do something like this, you can't take dead weight with, you can't take dead weight with you, all right? That's facts. Uh, people, people have to earn their uh, rights Okay, they have to earn their living, especially the men. So you don't want to take people who are all talk along with you. You've got to take workers. You've got to take people who are willing to work because it's not easy. 
it's hard. Homesteading is not easy. Uh, you need a plan, you need a place, you need a safe environment uh, ensconced with neighbors who will accept you. You just can't go anywhere. You see, uh, people, people have the idea that, well, we were living in a free country in America or Canada, you can you know, buy something and just, uh, just turn up. Well, you could do that if you had Allah's guidance, like my wife and I had. Well, we had Allah's guidance. I had a dream. I knew exactly as a result of the dream where to go and where to look. And as soon as we processed that dream and then applied it, we found the place. It was very easy. So if you don't have that kind of uh, guidance, I wouldn't suggest doing it, you see, unless you have relationship with people in a place uh, where there's relatively relative safety. So let's just say, well, okay, you're upstate New York and you got some people up there in the mountains and you know them and you run this idea by uh, one of the family heads up there and he says, yeah, okay, we got room up here for about eight folks. So come on up, choose them carefully and uh, we'll help you get started. If you've got a relationship like that, that's also how Allah gives you guidance, okay? You can't just show up there. You've got to be guided there. So Allah will either give you a direct uh, dream or vision or something of that nature, or he'll give you a relationship that will lead from one person to the next and, uh, to, uh, the, and that will lead you to your goal. And the goal is recognizable because you've asked him for it. You see, and this is this is a reason for istikara. This is why it's done. And in the doing of that, and then in the waiting for the response, then you move on it as soon as you get the response. This is one of the things I discovered in the book of uh, by Jilani that I mentioned, uh, uh, Revelations of the Unseen. He describes this system, he describes it, and I have experienced it. And he described it 800 years ago. So I know it's real. I know it's real firsthand, and then I know it's real because this uh, Sufi master did it. This man who lived in the desert for 25 years and then fathered 28 children, you see. You don't father 28 children without working hard, okay? because you've got, to, you've got to provide for them, then you have to guide them. And the man who wrote this book was someone who truly guided the Muslims of his age. And he's still guiding them by virtue of this book to this day and may God uh, bless him for it, you see. So um, in, in answer to your question, to expand on it a little bit, you then have to do research you see, I'm in the process of doing that now. I am actually hiring a permacultural expert to come stay with us on this property and to survey it and to walk it and to study it and then to design a plan which is best going to utilize the resources that we have here in a sustainable fashion. So, uh, I have done my own research, 
you see. And by virtue of my own experience, I know something about this because I did it 20 years ago in the mountains of Borneo. And I followed the land, I followed the resources that I had and I developed them and I exploited them. And I made a profit from it, enough to feed my family. So, and also I had a surplus, I could sell fish. The local villagers, instead of going to the river to fish, they came to buy my tilapia, you see, which was growing in a tank, which I had built with my own hands. And I had funneled water from a mountain spring into that tank, you see. So he's coming here to study our land and to give us a master plan of how to go about systematically using this land to the best advantage that would benefit the land as well as us and, as, uh, and also our neighbors, so that we could also economically exploit it. So this is the intelligent way to do it, you see. If you just show up on your uncle's step, uh, doorstep and you say, okay, uncle, I've got eight people with me. <laughs> what do we do next? <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not going to be very happy with you. He's going to expect you to have already done some research into the uh, uh, project and have some ideas. The permaculturist I'm hiring uh, came back at me and said, okay, what do you want to do? What are your goals? I wrote back to him right away. I said, I know what I want to do. Da, 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 da. And I went through a list. Then I matched my list with his protocol for development. You see, it's, this is a business. It's not just something you just say, oh, I'm going to go do. Oh, mom, can I go outside and play? Okay, bye. Well, what's a kid? Does a kid have any plan? No, he just walks out the door. Well, that's what a kid does. An adult doesn't do that. Mm. The mature man doesn't do that. The mature man makes a plan because it's war. You're going to war against the environment. You're going to war against your neighbors. Some of your neighbors ain't going to want it. So you're, you're, and you're going to war against yourself. Oh, I'm too lazy to get up and do this work. I don't want to milk the cows. Well, who's going to milk them? Okay. Who's going to feed the goats? Who's going to feed the chickens? Who, who's, going to, who's going to do this stuff if you don't do it? You got to have a plan. Who's going to chop the firewood? Who's going to make the fireplace? Who's going to build whatever's needed? If you need a kiln, do you know how to build it out of, muck and, uh, out of mud and uh, straw? Do you know how to bake the bricks? Do you know how to mix concrete? Do you know how to lay the bricks? Do you know how to till the ground? Do you know how to make fertilizer? Do you know what to do with manure? Do you know what to do with the worms in the compost, how to keep them alive, what they can eat and cannot eat? Do you know any of these things? If you don't know any of these things, don't go until you do, all right? It's not just an idea. Most people are escapists, they just wanna run but they don't know where, and they don't know what they're gonna do when they get there. That's a recipe for disaster. So if you're gonna do this thing, do it intelligently, research, make sure that Allah has guided you because Jilani said in the book that I wrote, he said, don't 
Go anywhere, don't do anything until Allah gives you the sign. Just sit and stay where you are. And I have learned that by experience. And when I read that just a couple of weeks ago, two, three weeks ago, after my years and years of this experience, I say, my God, this man knows. He's, he's reading my life here. He's writing it down. These are the protocols. This is how Allah guides us. This is how we succeed. This is how we reach the promised land. Yeah. So I hope that answered your question. Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred uh, percent. So I think this is a very basic question. I think uh, very easily answered. But let's say someone is trying to learn all these things. Like, yes, they can go on the internet. Yes, they can go on YouTube to search these things up. But like, where can they legitimately uh, start to actually practice these things? Like, should they search out people who are, number one, already doing it? Or two, um, they might have like a farm or something like that, or just some kind of thing where they're looking for... um, What's it called? It's not a worker, an intern. An an apprentice. Yeah, Yeah, an apprentice. Now you're getting medieval, okay? And that's a good thing to do. Because the medieval system of governance is probably one of the best. And uh, this is under the landed gentry, if you will. If you remove the Catholic um, uh, oversight from this, you've got a pretty good system where you have a lord of the manor and his wife and the families and servants, okay? Mm-hmm. And then these servants are, uh, they're servants of the household, but they're also servants who manage uh, the land. And then you have the peasants who actually work the land. This is a hierarchy and it's a pyramid. There's nothing wrong with the pyramid. It's only, the pyramid only becomes wrong when the Lord of the manor is a wicked hearted son of a bitch. Then you've got a problem, okay? And, um, yeah, pardon my French on occasion, but sometimes that's the only way to make the real point. You know, um, the, the thing of it is, is that you've got to attach yourself to people who know what they're doing. So you're talking about an apprenticeship. And this is something that's missing, missing in the educational system. We used to be there. Uh, the boys in the high school where I went to I was in the college prep stream. They, they had already separated uh, those who were uh, going to go off to college and those who were going to go off into technical skills. And the boys who were in the technical stream, they spent four years in training with masters of carpentry, masters of uh, engineering, masters of, uh, uh, of um, uh, auto uh, maintenance, uh, this sort of thing, masters of welding, you know, masters of boat building. We had all of those kind of different kind of disciplines in our high school. My high school had about a thousand students in it. And every, I mean, no more than a thousand, more than a thousand students. Every year we graduated about 400 people, somewhere thereabouts, between three and 400 people. And these 
the men, the young men in the in those in those classes, in those technical classes, they were learning the skills that would help them to earn a living. And so right out of high school, they were skilled and they had a, they had completed what you would call an, 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 an apprenticeship. And then they could go on from the apprenticeship to become uh, a, a first assistant to uh, somebody who had a garage. Okay. And then that man would teach them the, the final points that may, they may have missed or they didn't learn in high school. But they were already prepared to change the brakes on the car. They knew how to do it. Or they at least knew what to what needed to be approached, what tools needed to be used. They may not have been uh, familiar with a particular model of the car, but they knew the archetypal experience. So the apprentice is somebody who att was attached to a master, and then you become uh, what they called the um, the um, uh, the. I've forgotten the name for the stage, but the next stage, the next level is where you're right next to the master and you're almost equal with him. And then you become a master yourself, you see? So these are the kind of the stages of learning. So what you're talking about is you can't just learn this stuff on the, on the internet. You can learn about it, but you can't learn it, you see? I have done worm, cost, worm comp composting before, but I used a different approach, you see. So now I'm doing it again. And this very uh, uh, week I'm getting, uh, I'm having delivered a new worm, new set of worms, a new uh, uh, approach to worm composting that I didn't use before. And I'm using this system because I can't do the work myself in the same manner that I did it 20 years ago because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm crippled. So I, I used a different scheme, but I researched it first and now I'm getting the equipment to actually do it, you see. So I have some experience with it. Now I'm gonna try a different model or different approach. And now I'm going to get the experience doing this new model, different approach. I'm gonna do it myself. And I'm doing it in such a way that I help my wife in the kitchen by removing from her the responsibility of dealing with the, the kitchen scraps. I'm going to take them. Every day, they, every day they will disappear and I'll be responsible for them. And I'm going to feed the worms with them. And I'm going to make sure that the worms stay alive. And then I'm going to make sure that what they produce uh, with the manure and everything that they produce is turned, turned into a garden. And in a couple of months, maybe next month, I'll come to her with a bucket of this produce. And I say, now you can grow your vegetables here, darling. You see? And that's how I'm happy, helping my wife doing a good deed for the worms, for myself and for my wife, you see? So uh, this is off-grid living. It's one of the things you've got to do. It's uh, not just a small little piece of it. But um, what I'm doing uh, by hiring a professional to come here is a little bit more than what I did before in the mountains, okay? And why am I doing that? Well, because I'm in a new environment and uh, I'll be frank with you. We're in the land here of the white man, okay? And these are white Christians, this is wasp. This is wasp heaven, okay? They're all good Christians. 
They're all very, very sincere. In our county, there's no alcohol. You can't find a bar in Casey County, Kentucky. It doesn't exist. They don't exist. So we're in a dry county with a bunch of really responsible folks. More than 95% of them are white. They're not all Kentuckians, but 50% of this population are veterans. And they've just come back from killing Muslims. All right, are you getting the drift here? All right, so my wife has gained favor with a lot of the locals here because she's just sweet and innocent and genuine. And uh, she's a businesswoman. Okay, so she approaches people and she's wearing the hijab. And, you know, she's the only one in this whole place that's wearing the hijab. There's nobody else here. Yeah, and yet everybody loves her. So that's a sign of grace from God. Then I show up. Okay, I'm 30 years older to him, than her. So I'm in the middle of this place where, you know, I'm a stranger and now I'm married to a Muslim. Looks like I'm, you know, taking advantage of a pretty young thing. And um, uh, these, all, these people are all going to be looking at me with a fine tooth comb. And they're going to be very, very curious as to what it is we're doing here. So when I develop this land, and when we develop this land, we're going to do it very carefully, very carefully. And we're going to do it in, a, in such a way that most of the people here have not seen. Because, well, most of the people here haven't seen a couple like us. And we want to be very careful because we don't want to get any of these good old boys on. The, we don't want to get on the wrong side of any of these good old boys down here because you know what they got in their gun cabinets mm. and uh, they're not to be toyed with, not at all. So I'm taking extra precautions to develop this land and I'm going to use local people to do it. I'm not interested in having Muslims down here because most Muslims I've met are lazy and they're too, too lazy to, to do the work, the real work that needs to be done. And they'd rather stop and talk about theology. <laughs> and these vain ideas, you know, they wanna argue with me about how to pray after 1400 years as if, you know, they can't settle the problem. Yeah, that's, that's just, that, that gives you an idea that, that Muslims are still arguing about this 1400 years later is uh, a sign of futility. It's a sign of stupidity, okay? It's not a sign of uh, God's guidance, not at all. It's a sign of confusion and a lack of harmony, a lack of unity. There's no siasia dunia, all right? I just went to a Christ Christian church last Sunday. I sang the hymns with them. They have siasia dunia, they got it. I can tell you that firsthand. There's no doubt in my mind about it. And these people, these are the people I'd rather work with because they'll get things done. You drive around here, there's no graffiti, there's no litter. There's no signs of anything that even approaches a ghetto mentality. I go into Muslim neighborhoods up in Buffalo, it's all ghetto. 
all ghetto. No, I want as far from these people as possible. And if a Muslim comes here, I'm going to be doing very heavy screening. I'm going to tell you that right now. Because when you're off grid, yeah, I'm, going, I'm not going to do without electricity, but it's going to be off grid. I'm going to try and employ the latest in wind turbine technology, the latest in solar power technology, the latest in water uh, technology, and the later in water filtration, the latest developments in uh, battery uh, conservation of the energy that's generated. All right. They've got some very, very nice uh, advanced technology now in this area, and I'm researching it all now. So in order to do this, you've got to do the research and you've got to get people who can do the right thing. You just can't show up on your uncle's door with eight ignorant Muslims who want shelter from the storm. That ain't going to work because your uncle, after the two or three days of hospitality, He's going to get out a shot, shotgun. He's going to say, get out. I don't want any lazy, good-for-nothing morons around me. Mm -mm. Yeah, that's what's going to happen, you see. So if you're going to do this thing, you better be well prepared. And you have to be prepared mentally as well as financially to get things done. Because yeah. these things cost money. It's a foundation. It's not, it's not only work equ equity. You know, the, 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 there's a story about the, uh, uh, a group of workmen uh, during the days of the prophet, they built some sort of a waterway or dam or something. And there were financial backers to that, but they, 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 shared, uh, they had shares uh, in the project with the workmen. It was work equity, you see. So, you have, you have people with money, you have people with talent, you have people with ideas, you have people who actually do the work. Is that communism? No. No, there's still a hierarchy involved. On this land, I'm the caliph. Right? I'm the caliph, if you want to say it that way. I'm the caliph, I'm the boss, okay? I give the orders, I give the directions. I decide who's gonna do what, when, where, and how. Fortunately, Allah has given me a wife with some financial resources. We're going to put them to use because that's what they're for. That's what they're for. They're, they're, they're there to uh, enforce the cause of Allah in the earth. And living sustainably with nature is the cause of Allah in the earth. Muslims have forgotten that. And I'll just give you a brief example of that at the very Initial stages after the Jews were thrown out of uh, Medina, the Muslims took over their lands and they let them go to pot. They became deserts because they let the goats eat everything. That's just plain stupidity. That's not being responsible. Okay. So ignorance like that only serves evil. It serves destructive processes. So you can't approach something like this living off the grid and be ignorant. It ain't going to work. Ain't going to work. You need several qualifications to do this. 
and they're all divinely ordained. They're all manifestations of different divinely given gifts from Allah. Mm -hmm. and they all have to be put in order. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay, so I have, I have a question. This is definitely something that I have yet to research. I'm going to research um, the question that I'm going to ask, by the way, not mm -hmm. the off-grid. I've definitely researched the off-grid, alhamdulillah. But um, since you've done this mm -hmm. and you, you've been through it, how did you preserve meat once you butchered an animal? Like, let's say you have a cow. A cow is a lot of meat. How yeah. would you preserve this if you, um, let's say, if you didn't have, uh, like, a fridge that you could run off uh, solar panels or something like that? Because at some point or another, if you have a fridge, it's going to go bad. Yeah. You can look that up on the, uh, the internet. You can salt or, or smoke. Mm. Mm salt or smoke them all right you, you know some meat you can actually you know kind of pickle but uh, salting salting and smoking them will, will preserve the meat and the younger the animal is the more tender the meat will be and uh, the the result if you have to keep it preserved for any length of time will be better better tasting more edible the older the animal, the tougher the meat's going to be and the longer you're going to have to cook it. So that's uh, that's going to um, cost you more energy in terms mm -hmm. of fuel. Uh, these things are all practical. These things you can you can you can learn yourself and then you learn by experience. I never raised large animals. I only raised small an animals. And that was one of the considerations that I had. Now, here we're going to raise sheep. And uh, what you do here is maybe you slaughter a sheep. Uh, if you just got a small family, uh, you know, you can preserve that uh, for a little bit. With the other half, you just give it to a neighbor or you sell it. You know, uh, you'd let people know. I, ha I have, uh, I know one relative my, of my wife in Thailand. She has a, uh, uh, a cousin who slaughters cows. And when he's going to have a slaughter day, he announces it about a week beforehand. And then most of the villagers who are interested will turn up on slaughter day and uh, they'll buy what he's willing to sell that day. And then what he's willing to keep, he, you know, for his family, he'll, you know, keeps himself. So, I mean, there's very different ways you can do it. You, 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 can, you can create your, your own barter system, for example, and uh, for example, if you don't know how to do carpentry and you've got a guy who does, you can say, okay, well, I'm going to slaughter a carpenter. I'm going to slaughter a carpenter. I'm going to slaughter a cow next week. And uh, um, I'd like you to put in a new door in the garage for me this week. I'll give you one quarter of the cow if you do that. And, you know, you make a deal with him. See, and you can even make your own money on a local basis. There are communities in America who've done that. They bypass the, uh, the, crack, the cash system by creating coupons. So many hours of work worth so many pounds of potatoes or whatever the case might be, you see. Uh, you, you, you find something that everybody agrees on that's gonna maintain its uh, standard value. Uh, for example, in the Middle Ages in Europe, a loaf of bread uh, kept the same price for about uh, 250 years at one time. It didn't matter which generation, you know, there was no inflation before the Jews took over, you see. So 
um, uh, they always debase the currency and they always lie and they're always cunning. And um, uh, they can't be trusted for the most part, all except a few. We know that. And um, uh, God bless those few. And I would consider that my companions, if they help me in my enterprise, you see, I won't have any repercussions, any res reservation of making a deal with the Jew, as long as he is honest and straightforward with me, doesn't try to cheat me. Okay, that's fine. Given, yeah, given that we got like three-ish minutes left, I have one last question. Yes. I'm pretty sure that you can't do Umrah or Hajj without the COVID vaccine now. So what are your thoughts on that? It's illegal. Don't go. Allah will honor the intent. It's a dangerous thing to do. So don't do it. Just stay home. Make the Hijra, make the, make, make the Umrah in your heart. Allah will honor that. If you want to, you even want to make a greater gesture, you go through the stages yourself, you see. You choose a, a, a place. Look, before there was the, uh, the, uh, the, 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 before Mecca existed as a shrine, uh, the prophets of old, and there weren't just Arabic prophets, we're talking about 100, 24,000 prophets yeah. in a matter of, uh, you know, 10,000 years or so. That's a lot of people. Okay. And, um, and they're all over the earth. And from my readings of the traditionals, uh, traditional readings, they would choose a stone and then they would walk around it and they would perform their prayer in that fashion. Okay. So if you want to, you can't go to uh, Mecca for the Hajj. You choose a site to do this, and then you go through the motions yourself. Okay. Have you been to Umrah or Hajj? No, I refuse to go because I'm already a target by the Jews and uh, by the Saudis. They've they've uh, uh, they've they, they've uh, censored my books. Mm. I won't go. I won't give them an opportunity to insult me or kill me. I mean, if they want to kill me, they can come and find me, I, I, but I'm not that important. But you never know. You give one of these uh, crazy people, a, you know, an opportunity. Say, oh, there's Omar Zaid. Let's get him. <laughs> He's here. <laughs> mm. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. The target's already on my back. So why should I get them? Why should I walk to their shooting range? I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I've, been, I've been invited, and, uh, but I, I, I didn't go. Uh, for this reason. There are other reasons, but that's a major reason. Okay. There's no sense in sacrificing yourself. It's pointless. And then on Rami, any uh, input? I know Rami, uh, Rami said too much this episode. I don't really have uh, much to say, subhanAllah. Um, whenever, you know, we have a long episode like this, I, I internalize and I try and, uh, comprehend everything that was said uh it's kind of law i'm not great at multitasking so i i can see that <laughs> that's a lie you are the best multitasker that i've ever met don't count call of duty man that doesn't count bro that call of duty that was like secondhand nature bro yeah. mm. with that being said 
you guys made it this far, comment down below, hashtag woke. Next episodes to come, inshallah, we will go on more detailed topics about intersexual dynamics, psychology, stuff like that. But uh, we will link in the description box down below all the links to uh, Dr. Omar Zaid's blog, Zaid Pub. And we will link all the resources. I took a quick browse at it during the episode while he mentioned it. I saw like a, a medicine and anti-vax tab. So feel free to go into that for more uh, medical research and information. Rami, um, take it away, bro. That being said, Jazakallah khair for, uh, I believe this is episode three, another amazing episode. Allahumma atina fi dunya hasana wa fil akhirati hasana wa kana adhaab nar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.